Geek Top 5 Quarantine Edition. Yay! There was time now. There was was all the time I needed. Geek Top 5. I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And we are back with another round of dueling lists. Back to the back to the good old fashioned lists. You know, sometimes those deep dives you get in you get in just a little bit too deep and the people think you might be crazy. <laughs> uh, so this is a much more balanced approach to podcasting, I think, giving people a little bit more content and a little less uh I don't know. What like what, what's the religious word for lore? It's a lot, put it that way. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I don't even know what the that would be. Scripture? Yeah, that's what I'm looking for, scripture. <laughs> All right, well, this week we are delving into some t- t- definitely new territory for us. We are going to be debating our top five Looney Tunes characters. And let's be clear, when you talk about new territory, I mean, I was watching Looney Tunes before I was old enough to see with two eyes. I mean, it's a... Uh... You know, Looney Tunes have been around for a while, and they were a pretty definitive part of my childhood growing up, so, you know, new is a relative term. Let's talk about that a little bit. What what do you remember about Looney Tunes from when you were a kid? I mean, the Bugs Bunny and Tweety show. Yeah, yeah, right. global TV in the afternoons on weekends. Yeah, I, I assume my folks had a bunch on VHS, um, because I remember being able to watch it just all the time, constantly. It may have also just ran all the time, constantly. Yeah. Probably a combination of the two. But no, I still know the theme song. I don't know if that show has aired in 40 years, but it, uh, well, not, not 40, but I know the theme song and it's been a long time. I watched a lot of that growing up. It's, God, Looney Tunes was part of the zeitgeist by the time we came around, right? I mean, they were part of the I zeitgeist was- by the Second World War. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of think they're they're beyond the zeitgeist. If if there is such a thing, they're just they're they're omnipresent, and to the point where uh, the weird thing is that they they've there's been new content that's happened between the '60s and now, and like literally to this day, there's new content being produced on HBO Max. These brand new Looney Tunes shorts, but we always tend to remember and focus most specifically on the period between the '30s and the early '60s when they were still mostly theatrical shorts. And it's kind of it's kind of weird to think of of them in a context outside of that, or at least it is for me. Right, but I'm sure people, you know, like your your kid is old enough he's watching cartoons now. I'm sure he's going to stumble across the Looney Tunes, and he'll have those memories too. And even though Mel Blanc is long gone, like, like you know, that the, the same essence of those cartoons, those characters is still there. It's it's hard to separate it from just life in the you know in the Western Hemisphere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it, it's so we should talk a little bit about the the. Uh, Disney versus Warner Brothers thing, because that that is a real thing. But at least for me growing up, it felt like Disney was very childlike and innocent, and Looney Tunes was a little bit more subversive and and out there, and and that appealed to me more than than Walt Disney. Since I've gotten older, I know that there are some pretty subversive and and entertaining Disney cartoons, usually Donald Duck and, and Goofy cartoons, but Mickey Mouse has always been pretty down the, the middle of the road, yet I think there's newer Disney content that, that is more, that's better received than the newer uh, Looney Tunes content. So in, in some ways, the Disney cartoons have, have won the, that conflict in the pop culture landscape. 
that for sure that's the word I was going to use it's like you know I don't know if there is a Looney Tunes plus or a Warner Brothers plus but there sure as heck is a Disney plus and they're they're getting away with making those live action remakes now I mean it's like right but even if we just stick to the slapstick cartoons like Mickey and Donald and Goofy there's like there there've been Looney Tunes movies, but I don't think they've hit other than Space Jam in the same way that some of the Disney ones have. <laughs> and like, even then, Space Jam is a, uh, you love it or you hate it. It's, uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it hit, and and it had an impact on the, the zeitgeist to the point where there were sequels and follow-ups to it, but nobody really remembers those. It was it was sort of a, a blip on the radar. Whereas yeah, for, the for Disney a 90-minute cartoons... commercial for Air Jordan <laughs> shoes, it, uh, <laughs> hey man, I, it worked. Yeah, I know I, more about Michael Jordan than than any other basketball player, and I have never seen an entire basketball game. I know that he can fly like an eagle <laughs> and into the sky, eye, and that's about it. Oh, and he played baseball once. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But but yes, that all comes from Space Jam. So come at me, sports geeks. I don't know. <laughs> So, so I think it's safe to say that the majority of what we're going to be referencing in this goes back to those classic shorts. There are some things that I remember from from later years, like there was a show called the Sylvester and Tweety Mystery Show, and they they like solved mysteries, sort of like Agatha Christie with with Granny. But I it, it didn't. I remember watching it. But it was the sort of thing that I would watch because there was nothing else on, not because I was, like, a huge fan. Do you remember that? I don't remember that, no. I do okay. remember the era when they started to air, like, new content, and that didn't quite... It wasn't that I didn't like it, it just it didn't feel like exactly the same thing. The characters yeah. were were speaking a little bit differently. They were doing slightly different things. There's the perfect punch of those classic Looney Tunes shorts. It's a very difficult thing to quantify, but a very easy thing to identify. And around the era of the Tiny Toons, I think, which gets away with it because like those are different characters, right? Those are the Tiny right. Toons. But around then, the Looney Tunes content that came after that... I feel like it was closer to those sort of 90s era adventure cartoons, you know, like X-Men and Gargoyles, than it was to those classic shorts where it was a lot of slapstick, a lot of dialogue, a lot of wordplay. And yeah. that's fine, but I imagine our lists are referring specifically to that older stuff, because even as a kid, I just felt like I, I, that stuff was funny, but it wasn't the classics that I was looking for. It's almost like there was too much narrative after those classics. Yeah, like they, yeah. They had to make it a coherent story. And I don't know that that's what anyone wanted from these cartoons. Okay, yeah, well, we've been... Uh, so basically, that was our incredibly long-winded apology <laughs> for saying that we're not really, you know, counting the new, new stuff. Um, we're going for, for older stuff. Not always necessarily the oldest, but what I think we can safely call the classics. So just keep that caveat in mind as we climb up our lists. And we're going to stick to our typical rules where if we're going to start it at the bottom and if someone has the same character higher on the list, we'll wait till we both said that character. And I got to say, when I first suggested we do this, I thought it would be a real easy one to come up with a list for. But after my top two, it was a real puzzle figuring out what the bottom three were really? going to be. So I'm very curious to see how it pans out between the two of us. This was one of the fastest lists I have ever put wow. together. I'm going to be very interested in the 
you know, in, in the, the distances between our two. I struggled. <laughs> All right, well, let's let's hear about it. Why don't you hit us with your number five? Okay, so my number five is uh, Foghorn Leghorn. See, I would have guessed that would be your number five. I don't know why. What? Um, <laughs> I just, I thought, oh, Foghorn Leghorn. It's on there, but not too high. Um, I, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm bleeding into my psychic powers. Um, Foghorn Leghorn was considered, but didn't make it onto my list. Uh, so we can launch into him right away. Okay, so, so I will say... I am very surprised he ended up on my list because when I started this, he was like I, I made like a sort of a dummy list of characters that I that first came to mind, and Foghorn Leghorn was not one of those characters, and I don't think I really liked him as a kid. I let's let's get into who he is first before we sort of we discuss him. He's he's a blowhard rooster who who helps to protect or, you know, do whatever a rooster does with the hens at this farm. And I think he's kind of one of the more versatile characters because he doesn't stick to one gimmick. Either he's he's antagonizing the dog that's there to guard them and the two of them sort of bungle their way through defeating a weasel trying to eat the eggs of the, the other chickens. Or he's, he's trying to impart life license to a, a young rooster. Those seem to be the two different versions of the character. Those he's are also classics one of the few, that I remember, yeah. Yeah. He's also one of the few main character, Looney Tunes characters, who's not the definitive hero of it, if you, you will. Like, like a, the, the sort of standard for a Looney Tune cartoon is there's two characters who are clashing against each other and typically there's one character you're rooting for and one character you're you're against uh, like a perhaps uh, characters that'll come up later in the list a cat and a bird and and you don't want the bird to be eaten so the bird is the character you're sort of rooting for and foghorn leghorn isn't that like he's he's a jerk you don't it's hard to like him but I think one of the things that makes him endearing is his weird quips and his asides and this this southern accent he has. And he's th- just this big blowhard. And as I, now that I'm older and I can appreciate a protagonist who isn't likable, I, I enjoyed, when I was researching this, I enjoyed watching all these clips of him saying absurd things and, and trying to show this little bird uh, the ropes, even though he's an idiot. He doesn't know the ropes. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> I don't want to suggest that maybe it seems, makes him sympathetic. Um, but, no, uh, I don't think it does, yeah. <laughs> frankly. Uh, hey. he, he was created in 1946, just a little bit more background, and he was originally voiced like so many of these characters by uh, Mel Blanc. Yeah, that's we're going to be using that name a lot. That guy, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the, the modern father of voice acting? Good heavens, the range on that guy. I don't even know if he's modern anymore. He's like the classic voice actor that everyone, I think, aspires to. Yeah, we got old, huh? (laughs) Yeah. Well, (laughs) look, he died five years after we were born, so. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But put it this way. I mean, I knew who he was when I was little. So Yeah. But anyway, so yeah, Foghorn Leghorn. Mind like a steel trap full of mice. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Those things are delightful. He's got a lot of fun sort of one-off sayings, which I think is kind of a southern stereotype sort of thing. The sort of bless yeah. your heart kind of backhanded, not even compliment, but turn of phrase. Yeah, one of the things I was I found in my research is he's 
sort of a riff on another comic character who is a radio character called Senator Claghorn. So he's got the, you know, a, a senator is a care is a job and a title that is supposed to engender respect and, and you're supposed to listen to them. But this guy was just a blowhard who would say nonsense. And that's Foghorn Leghorn, except he's, you know, he's a rooster. I found that he didn't, um, I didn't put him on my list because for whatever reason, well, actually, I think I do know the reason. It's I don't think of him as being sort of one of the main ensemble. Um, I feel like a lot of the Looney Tunes characters are sort of at their best in their, like, their pairings or their groups, but often enough they'll overlap. And I never, like, I don't remember seeing Foghorn Leghorn hanging out with, you know, Bugs and Daffy and Porky. I'm sure it happened. Uh, but yeah. it always seemed to I, me that he was sort of outside of the the A team. Like he wasn't in like he wasn't in the first Avengers movie. He was one of the ones <laughs> who came like in that weird period before Age of Ultron when they weren't really doing anything. Like, <laughs> like, like that's sort of the impression I got of Fogg. I, I like him, but he always just seemed to me as be sort of like the the a B character or a C sure. character even. And as a character created in '46, he's. Getting towards the the middle towards end of the creative peak of the Looney Tunes characters, like there's not many classic characters that were created after that, if if any, really. So so, so yeah, that's that's where my f- my number five is. And honestly, I, I kept thinking about this afterwards. If you had told me any of my bottom three before I started making the list, I wouldn't have believed you. I can't believe the characters that ended up on this list and knocked other people off for me. But he made it. All right. Well, I guess as we find more characters that aren't on your list, we'll 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 go over why they, you know, why they made room for Foghorn Leghorn. But uh, I'll uh, I'll take the mic over here and I'll say for my number five, uh, I picked Yosemite Sam. Well, uh, he's gonna be a little later. Oh, okay. So we'll talk about him later. The uh, the rootinest, tootinest, hootinest, shootinest wildcat in the West. I'm All glad right, to see I'll, we can I'll, agree I'll on this, that. I'll stop the suspense. We'll talk about him now. He, he's my number four. Hey, okay. God, you. this is why we have guests on the show. It's because you and I think very similarly. <laughs> Again, it was not a character I would have imagined would be one of my top guys. Really? And, oh. Yeah. And before I forget, because I, I, I feel like last episode, as soon as we stopped recording, I was like, ah, oh, there's so many things I meant to say. And then I just, we got carried away and I forgot about them in the moment. But both Yosemite Sam and Foghorn Leghorn were voiced in the 90s in these these brief theatrical shorts. So they went back to the theatrical shorts for a little bit in the 90s, and there's a Foghorn Leghorn and Yosemite Sam short where they're both voiced by Frank Gorshin. Huh. Yeah, the original Riddler from the, uh, the Adam West Batman. And so this was 30 years after that series ended. So he's not a young man when he's doing this, and he's not, he's not exactly... He, he's close, but he's not... You can tell it's not Mel Blanc. Like, there's some later guys who do the voices almost as well as Blank does, to the point where it's hard to tell. Like, the current guy, Eric Bauza, he does a fantastic job as as Bugs in Yosemite Sam and, and a lot of the classics. But Frank Gorshin was was doing a Frank Gorshin. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know that that would, uh, oof. I'd, yeah, I wouldn't think of that as the iconic of the character for sure. Anyway, let's let's go into Yosemite. Yeah, Yosemite Sam. The just Yosemite Sam to me is the perfect Looney Tunes antagonist. 
Um, and there's in like the so he he's a 1945 character. I think he was originally renamed after that, but originally in the cartoon Hair Trigger, um, which was a play on the on the German, which happened a lot in the 40s. Uh, <laughs> traditionally a Bugs Bunny antagonist, but he picks on all the Looney Tunes characters because, I mean. Yosemite Sam is an antagonist you you love to hate because he is an aggressive, angry, controlling, just like he's he's such a jerk. And they cast that role in so many aggressive, like, you know, sometimes the cartoon takes place in the gold rush and he's a prospector who's desperate for gold. And sometimes he's a pirate or sometimes he's a bad cowboy. And at least one short, he's a Confederate soldier, which is a little on the nose and I looking back I kind of wondered if characters like Yosemite Sam is where I sort of early on learned my disdain for stereotypes of like the southern United States yeah it probably doesn't help yeah uh, but whereas you know characters like Elmer Fudd who like it's like the antagonism between him and Bugs Bunny it's almost like Bugs is bullying him a little like Elmer Fudd seems like a really nice guy Yosemite Sam is exactly the kind of person you want to drop an anvil on. Yeah, like like Elmer Fudd sometimes feels remorse. He, he's he's just trying to he's he's a hunter. He's he's literally doing his job. Whereas Yosemite Sam is is a bandit and and you know out for trouble. He's he's not a nice guy in any of his guises. And because he's sort of a generic outlaw it's easier for him to switch into different roles like the pirate or the confederate soldier whereas elmer fudd is kind of stuck just being elmer fudd yeah yeah right like there's there's because in a way there's not that much to him there can like no matter where you put him you know as soon as you see that red mustache you know exactly what to expect right he's going to be loud and angry and at the end of the day his anger is going to make him incompetent and that's yeah. hilarious. That's the kind of character we want to see lose all the time. So I like that. He also makes my list just because I just love the voice. The the southern accent and the yelling. That, yeah. yeah. That apparently, I read Mel Blanc, he always did Yosemite Sims lines at the end of the recording session because his throat was sore afterwards. Because all it is is him yell, even when he's muttering, it's, ah, riggin' friggin' riggin' riggin' It's like just so loud and so much energy he's so on all the time he's just he's a, he's a freight train he's a big blustering freight train yeah and he's he's very he's also short which is an unusual trait like usually the animal characters or at least at the beginning of of these the looney tune shorts when there were people and animals the people tended to be bigger and and you know nowadays you see, well, nowadays, <laughs> 1945, 1950, uh, Daffy and Bugs and Elmer were all about the same height. Yosemite Sam was always short. Like, if you put him in the real world, he might be, like, two and a half feet tall. And and I think that adds to the absurdity of him. Like, he's this angry guy who, who demands respect and attention, but he's just, like, this little fella who, who you wouldn't think is a threat at first glance. Right. If it was a if it was a complex emotional piece, like it would be all about how it stems from his insecurities and all that jazz, right? Like yeah. it would add that depth to it, which I mean, which is probably there in the subconscious assumption. But because it's a cartoon, he's just a real pissed off guy with guns, almost gu- always guns. That uh, once it's it's when Bugs is in Rome, it's he plays like the Roman guard, right? 
Yeah, that's yeah. just yeah, that is just saying. So yeah, spears instead of guns, but same deal. And the the latest version, uh, he's they've they've made it so he can't have guns. Well, of course, yeah. Nowadays, yeah. yeah. A- apparently, it was sort of an unwritten rule previously, like in the last. I don't know, decade or so, he didn't really use his guns, but now it's official. He's he's not going to use his guns anymore. He still has, like, rockets and knives and stuff, but no guns. Yeah, that's... I'm going to leave that one to the social psychologists. I'm sure they know more than me. It seems to me if you portray guns, like, in the hands of an idiot, that, like, it doesn't... Like, but, hey, you know what? I mean... I, that, I don't know. There yeah. might be something about the reckless use of the guns. It's... I, I don't know. That's yeah. That's that's bigger. That's above our pay grade. <laughs> Long story short, Yosemite Sam is a riot. He's a great antagonist, and it it helps that you know when bad things happen to him, like because he's such a putz, it's it's fun when bad things happen to him. He he earns everything that comes his way. He's a great character. The other thing I I found when I was researching this is he's he's you don't often hear his name on screen like like sometimes he he always has different titles and names Yosemite Sam is sort of what he's known of off screen and maybe a few times on screen but he's always got different names depending on the the context or no name like I watched this one that I, I was reading that there's only two of the classic shorts where he's not paired with Bugs Bunny so I watched the one with him and Daffy just out of curiosity and he, his name is never said in it. And he also has a weird twin brother who looks exactly like him in every way except his facial hair is black instead of red. Huh. It was a weird one. But it was good. But, uh, you know, not what I had expected. Um, the other thing, just to bring it into the world of Geek Top 5, in an episode of the Duck Dodgers cartoon, which was a, a, a semi-successful series that ran for a few seasons... When Yosemite Sam appeared on the show, he was a, a, basically a Klingon. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, okay. That's, uh, I'll have to double-check that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so what's your number four? Uh, my number four was Marvin the Martian. Didn't even register as a possibility for me. Ah, uh, good heavens. And see, <laughs> I, You even sound like Marvin the Martian. Oh, good heavens. <laughs> makes me very, very angry. Oh, this is so sad because I can't do the voices nearly as well. Um, even, no, as Mel Blank? I, as Mel Blank, yeah, boy, <laughs> gee, what a, what a guy am I, huh? Now, Marvin the Martian, I, I actually have an original animation cell of Marvin the Martian. I got it as a gift from some family members. Marvin the Martian would have been higher on my list because he's so targeted towards me like i'm the target audience it's looney tunes but it's sci-fi and aliens and ray guns Um, i bumped him back down to four because i realized you know what there are better characters than marvin the martian but he is still hilarious marvin the martian in these shows uh originally shows up as an antagonist in 1948 in the cartoon hair devil hair um, and then became a big duck dodgers villain but still squares off with bugs occasionally Um, He basically is, most of the time, trying to destroy the Earth and completely accidentally bumps into Bugs Bunny, who apparently, out of boredom in the way that Bugs does, constantly thwarts him. Uh, But Marvin is fun because, well, A, he's he's an alien. Not that you could really tell, but it's it's a fun thing to do. They've, They've dressed him up like a Roman centurion uh, because of Mars, because that's a Roman god. Right. As opposed to, you know, all the other planets. 
Yeah, but like, I mean, they, like, how are you going to portray a Martian? Like, what, a guy with green skin? Nope, nope, nope. We're going to give him a Roman helmet and one of those little skirts. Okay, creative design. Um, but he's also unfailingly polite, which is I, he's delightful. Also his, his face is just like two gigantic eyes, right? Yeah, yeah. You can and see the, his it, mouth. It's uh, no, in the, you, you have the green helmet with the sort of the brush on top, and yeah, just a big black void where his face would be in the two eyes. And even when they do the dysmorphic stuff, you know, when he gets dissolved and only the helmet is left, like you still don't see any more features. We have no idea, like as an alien, what he you know, quote looks like unquote. But and of course, the reason for that is because he looks like a Roman centurion suit. That's how he's drawn, right? <laughs> but he's polite and precise he's like if kelsey Grammer was a looney tunes character he you know the, the machines are acting up and it's oh drat these computers i could pinch them <laughs> it's just like what is he like, it just he's i guess it's supposed to be because he's an alien and they're super smart they're super intelligent and so they're also very precise in their language <laughs> it, it is a great voice yeah, just in general. It's this soft, nasally, sort of erudite. I mean, I'm not doing it any justice here. I'm just making it worse. But, but you, you can go Google Marvin the Martian. I don't need to describe it. Um, but it's a blast, literally, because, you know, he's always he always has his space dynamite. The, the, the Illudium Q36 explosive space modulator. <laughs> yeah, we got that down. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I loved Marvin the Martian cartoons growing up. I mean, so the actual antics are, you know, he has his death rays or his big real robot guns and Bugs always finds a way to undo it and it makes him very, very angry. It's not that different from anything else, but the sort of the opposite of Yosemite Sam where he's just so mm. like so, just so reasonable about it. And the space stuff really speaks to me. And there's, this really shows, I think, in the art of those shorts. There's a lot of, like, you know, what the space age was imagined to look like in the 60s, with, like, the really narrow paths just floating in empty space. Um, you know, buildings made completely out of glass that you can see all the way through. Like, it's always really inventive. It's a fun art style to look at. And it doesn't, I don't know if it made any sense back then. It certainly doesn't now. But it's visually so different from the rest of the Looney Tunes cartoons where it's, you know, in a house or in a field. Um, and, and setting it in that really unique setting gave them some opportunities to do stuff, which I, I really enjoy. And and his look is really iconic and unique. There's There's nothing quite like him out there. And he's also one of the more consistent ones as far as the look goes. I think every other character has changed in style over the years as technology has changed and art styles have changed. Um, but Marvin the Martian always looks the same because it's, it's, it's kind of a perfect look. It's hard to find ways to improve it, I think. Yeah, there's nothing that needs refining. It's very simple, uh, and everything is very iconic. You know, that's that's his red shirt. That's his big green helmet. That's just that's that's just what he looks like, and it's such an icon. I mean, it's not unique for Looney Tunes things to show up in other places, but like the the Spirit Rover on Mars has a Marvin the Martian drawn on it. I think it might have been the mission patch. Um, nice. Which I don't know how licensing for that works. Maybe they don't, and Warner Brothers just takes it as a compliment. But like, that's the level of which Marvin the Martian is associated with Mars, right? <laughs> like it's 
he, he, just something about that image is so iconic, it's hard to think of one without the other. Yeah, and there were some uh, crossovers in the comic books with the DC universe, and uh, of course, if you're going to do that sort of crossover with DC characters, uh, the perfect combination is Marvin the Martian and the Martian Manhunter. So, you know, head to your comic store if you want to see that. There, there's a lot of weird <laughs> pairings in there, like Batman and Elmer Fudd. Can I ask you, is that any good? I haven't actually read those issues, but... Uh, they're hit and miss. Um, okay. It all depends on the creative team. The the uh, Batman Elmer Fudd one is actually one of the more notable and interesting ones. It's the it's the guy who wrote it is actually a very good Batman writer, and so it's got a bit more depth than you would expect, and and it was interesting. And you know, others were just pure nonsense and kind of a waste of time. But all right, fair enough. You're you're not yeah. selling it to me, but I'll, no, I'll, I'll live. <laughs> In any case, Marvin the Martian, I love him. Um, I would have put him higher just because of, like it ticks all those boxes for me. But really, you know, he's also not one of the main crew, right? He's sort of he's he sort of feels like maybe not a crossover, but he's like let's take the main crew and give them something different instead of a hunter or instead of you know a, a jackass like Yosemite Sam. Let's give him a Martian. He's like a fun what if story. He doesn't feel like part of the main gang. And the main gang, I don't, you know, they they have a lot more to them. So on my list, but not that high. All right, so my number three is uh, uh, I I hope uh, it doesn't shock you too much. It's a it's Ralph the Wolf. Whoa, that's yeah. that's that's kind of okay. Yeah, that is not on my list. <laughs> He's definitely a deeper cut, but I I think he's one of my favorites if only because of the intro and outro to every cartoon where he's clocking in for his job. With Sam, right? Yeah, Sam the Sheepdog, although their names weren't always consistent. He he first uh, appeared in 1953 and uh, also voiced by Mel Blanc. In fact, Mel Blanc voiced both characters as, again, it shouldn't be a surprise at this point, he's like the only voice actor they had or needed. But uh, he... It, that the whole thing was like morning Sam, morning Ralph, this sheepdog and this wolf checking in for their day. The sheepdog's gonna protect the sheep. The wolf is gonna try and eat the sheep, and that's how every cartoon works. Once you get into the thick of the cartoon, it's pretty standard sort of wily e. coyote roadrunner fare where they they fight and the sheepdog always wins. And at the end of the cartoon, Ralph is all messed up from being beaten up by Sam. And they clock out for the day, and he's usually, like, woozy and reeling from multiple concussions. And he's like, so long, Sam. So long, Ralph. And that's how it ends. And the next day, they just head back into it. And I guess as a sort of 9-to-5 workaday guy myself at this point, it appeals to me on that level. Just the, <laughs> this is their grind, and they, they, they can still be friends. But when you're on the clock, you got to do your job. I mean, that's still just one joke, though, right? Yeah, I think once you get into the actual the cartoons, it can be very inventive how he how Ralph tries to get one over on Sam, how he tries to win the day and get these sheep and and how Sam who seems to be just this like dull bored dog always seems to be able to outwit Ralph who's constantly plotting and scheming and trying to come up with something new. There's the, I do like that combat or the, the balance between them more than I do with some of the other antagonistic pairings. 
now the question being is that like I when I think back I remember those scenes I remember you know, clocking in and clocking out but I don't actually remember any specifics like any instances what actually happened like if you could name one gag like your know, one plot that Ralph tried that Sam foiled I couldn't give you that I'm trying to zero in on whether or not like you're you're just like, this one gag has elevated it up your list, or is there anything in there that really speaks to you otherwise? Uh, you know, it might also come down to the Firefly effect. Like, I don't think there are that many of those cartoons, so the joke and the jokes in them don't didn't get old or repetitive like they did with some of the others. Like, I, I don't want to step on any toes, but I find some of the Wiley e. Coyote and Roanrider shtick gets tired because there's just so many of them and it's always the same thing whereas this there's a handful of shorts and there's not a lot of opportunity for them to get repetitive in the same way okay that's yeah yeah. okay i can see that the other thing that i don't think it's sort of that I, i don't know that i fully appreciated when i was a kid is that ralph is just wily coyote with a red nose it's, oh yeah, it's kind of really lazy design work, but it works, and and they, he is a distinct character. Although I guess with Wiley e. Coyote, there's kind of two different versions of him depending who he's he's fighting. Right, but and again, I, I, I would have argued that Ralph the Wolf is kind of a third Coyote character. Like I, I get it that they've decided they're two different people, but like as a kid watching it, you didn't know the difference. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair, and, and you know. Maybe I'm just being a, a contrarian. That, that is uh, not out of the realm of possibility. I will cop to that. Yeah, I I don't know that I have much else to say about Ralph the Wolf. It's just uh, that that the, the way you didn't even consider Marvin the Martian. Uh, that like Ralph the Wolf wasn't even a blip on my radar. Yeah, I think I have a, a sort of a soft spot for those characters uh, again because they were. They were kind of a treat when they showed up. It was always like a surprise. Like, oh, I I remember these guys. Uh, Let's see what this one's like. Whereas a lot of the other characters you get, it's almost familiarity breeds contempt. Isn't that the saying? Sure. So it was a nice treat to break up the, the cartoons. But we will, I'm sure, get into that more as we go up the list. What's what's your number three? My number three uh, is a slightly better-known character. My number three is Daffy Duck. He is definitely higher on my list. Okay, so we'll uh, we'll have to we'll have to come back to that. My number two is Bugs Bunny. My number two is also Bugs Bunny. Really? Wow! I I was sure he was going to be number one on one of ours, especially when I started this whole thing. I mean, Bugs Bunny gets a lot of props for being the cartoon character, right? Like, in the same way that Mickey Mouse is. Like, they embody cartoons the way Zeus embodies, like, Greek (laughs) mythology. But not number one. But here, uh, you're number two. Well, both are number two, but it's your turn to to hit me with what you got. So so cartoons back in, in the day were... There was not as strong an attempt to make things iconic and and stable from day one so Bugs Bunny has an evolution over his first I don't know five years in fact there are other cartoons that predate what is considered the first Bugs Bunny cartoon with a rabbit character that's very similar to Bugs and voiced by Mel Blanc but he's not quite there yet and in 1940 is when he really starts to get closer to 
the bugs that we know. In fact, the the first one of the first Bugs Bunny cartoons is just a basically a du- Daffy Duck cartoon where the duck has been replaced by uh, a rabbit <laughs> up to the point where he still like jumps around like early Daffy does and goes woohoo so but he since after that he branched out and became very much his own character and and has such a distinct personality there are some other of these looney tune characters where there's a real basic idea for them but a lot of it comes down to protagonist antagonist one guy wants to eat the other the other guy doesn't want to be eaten or wants to beat up the guy that wants to eat something whereas bugs is this sardonic character who who he's he's a a smart aleck yeah he's he's a bored antagonistic smart aleck and he he very rarely goes looking for trouble but when trouble finds him you know this means war he's he's not gonna put up with it well the what's up doc even right like the, the the best and like the when what's up doc is being used properly it's used to indicate bugs's complete nonchalance in a situation that should be extremely alarming to him. You know, it'll right. be like Elmer Fudd sticking the shotgun in the rabbit hole. And bugs will come up behind him and just, you know, where any, like any other one of us would, you know, this is an antagonistic situation. This person is trying to hunt me and eat me for food. <laughs> bugs is just like, yeah, let's see where this goes. Hey, what's yeah. up, Doc? What's going and on? You know, <laughs> he... He always is confident that he's going to come out on top, but he also, he, I get the impression, at least in the, the, the heart of the Bugs Bunny cartoons, the, the main ones, the canon ones, that if the other person stopped, he would stop too. He's not going to push and fight someone just for the sake of fighting them. Well, yeah, it's because most of the time he's like the, anything that starts trouble with Bugs, it's either he's in his hole doing nothing or he's gotten lost on his way somewhere. Like, it's, yeah, the, the situations are never created that like, that Bugs has any want. Like, Bugs never has any horses in this race, right? It's just stuff that happens, and he reacts to it, because why not? Yeah, and, and he does zany things to get out of it, and, and does breaks every law of physics or, or whatever to, to get out of it. And he's... he. I feel like anytime there's a generic cartoon character... Or, or a new one, they're always some sort of riff on this, especially if they're a real slapstick, wiseacre guy. He's he's the template. He's the mold that everyone's uh, copying, you know? Everyone, oh, every modern cartoon owes something to Bugs Bunny. Who he's the turn, ultimate. Yeah, who in turn owes something to what? Like to Groucho Marx a little, I think? Yeah, um, definitely. Any of the sort of... the the characters that from the early talkies who just wouldn't shut up who always had something to say especially if it was absurd yeah so it's but it's not just loudmouthed either like like i don't want to i mean we're, we're, we're really narrowed in on this one thing but i don't want to skim over how important it is that that attitude the attitude is what really sells it because bugs has a confidence and a capability that's really enviable it's like I don't want to say American per se, but like the the idea that whatever is there, he's going to be able to handle it and get on with his day makes him a character that we kinda want to be like he's be like the cool kid For in the sure. schoolyard, right? I'm I'm yeah, missing some like, English at the moment. I blame the <laughs> pandemic. But 
he he that is a really good point. He's the cool guy. Like nothing he doesn't want anything, but nothing's gonna phase him. Like he will he he he's so accomplished he can do anything without even trying. Yeah, so like when you're like when you have, you know, Ralph and Sam, like yeah, you get it. But you don't really identify with either of those characters. With bugs, like you want to be bugs, kinda. You want to embody him, like you want to be the guy who's in control, and it's fun watching the guy who's in control handle whatever this is. Like you know, everything from the opera singer to the monsters to the hunters to the whatever it is. It's always just like water off a duck's back to bugs. He's always got it handled. Well, I think when it progressed beyond the the slapstick classic cartoons and went into more narrative forms as time went on he lost something because he had to be a main character in a continuing storyline he had to be more sympathetic and i think they they had to challenge him in a way that seems unusual right it's weird that bugs has a problem that he can't just solve by you know (laughs) (laughs) cross-dressing yeah and he also has to be more i don't want to say likable but more moral because I don't... The classic Bugs Bunny doesn't strike me as an especially moral character. He's not going to go out of his way to help other characters unless, you know, unless it helps him in some way. But he's not selfish either. He's just his own man. Whereas when we have the those later movies in the 60s, 70s, 80s, where they're mostly just repackages of the old cartoon with a story around it, or they did like a Christmas Carol where he's Bob Cratchit. He's got to be more sympathetic, and I don't think that was ever uh, on anyone's radar. The sympathy came from someone wanted to hunt him, and he was going to teach them a lesson. And you never worried about him. Whereas when he's a protagonist, like he is in in later stories, you are worried about him. Space Jam is a prime example. There's a big problem, and Bugs can't just handle it on his own. He needs Michael Jordan to help him win a basketball game. And that's not classic bugs. Yeah, even the, like, even forget the main plots. Like, even having Lola Bunny in there, like, took agency away from him in a way that, okay, is actually kind of realistic. But by the same token, that didn't feel like Bugs Bunny. Because there's not a situation that Bugs Bunny would let get out of hand like that, you know? Yeah, or if it did get out of hand, you would never have any doubt that he would... he would win in the end. He he doesn't... Bugs never needed help. If he got help, that was fine. But you never doubted that he could get out of any scrape on his own. Exactly. So saying that, I mean, there's, you know, been almost a hundred years of Bugs Bunny. Right? <laughs> like, so there certainly has been more than one interpretation of him. When we mentioned at the start of the show, we're really focusing in on, like, the latter half of the 20th century, which I'm confident saying is prime Bugs. For sure. sure. I'm, yep, that's a hill I'll fight to die on. <laughs> um, but yeah, the fact of the matter is it's also important to acknowledge that besides those series of shorts, he has been everywhere. He is a product. He is a movie star. He is a mascot. He, is, he plays sports. He is toys. He is so recognizable. And I mean, certainly, like, like the attitude is a big part of that. There's something about Bugs Bunny that appeals to us in, a, in the self-made man kind of way. Uh, also, want to point out that the does, like the character design, something we haven't focused on too much this episode, but the character design of Bugs is it's hilariously simple. I mean, he's, he's a rabbit anthropomorphically formed like a person. Like you can't 
you know what I mean? When you describe it, it doesn't sound like anything special, but is there, like nobody is listening to us talk here and doesn't know exactly what Bugs Bunny looks like and wouldn't be able to recognize him half a kilometer away. Yeah, but it's also interesting, especially doing the research for this and looking at older cartoons, how much change there was in him in the early days. M- oh, more, in the early well, days, sure. They're trying to get it right. Yeah, yeah, but but some characters are are pretty. If they're not fully formed right out of the gate, they're pretty close. Whereas Bugs went through this evolution where where there are some early cartoons where he doesn't look like the Bugs that we know. Even the the sort of pear shaped head that we know now, where there's the long part with his eyes and the cheeks that come out, that didn't really form until several years after his creation. Which, again, is the, you know, that so the time you're describing is 60, 70 years ago. Right. Like, let's, let's be clear. Like, yeah, I, I understand yeah, what you're saying. Like, it took a bit <laughs> to get there, but he's been locked in that character design for a long time. And, and yet, yeah, it took him a little late longer to get there than it took Barf and the Martian. Um, but once they settled on it, that just has... I mean, like, you know, Mickey Mouse's design arguably, quote, hasn't changed, quote, either, but it kind of has. He keeps getting drawn very differently. Um, even if it's just a matter of a transition from 2D to 3D, like, you'll, you'll recognize the shape, but Mickey Mouse looks different and will keep looking different over the decades. Bugs Bunny just is immediately recognizable no matter what form he's in at all times. And I just, I don't know enough art words to say why. (laughs) I'm sure it's something about the simplicity of the lines and the contrast of the colors between the gray and the white, but that is a locked-in cartoon design that has been exactly the same for literally a lifetime, and that's that's worth noting. That's true. In any case, Bugs Bunny, Mr. Warner Brothers, uh... One of the greatest cartoon characters of all time, but number two on both our lists. Didn't quite yeah. make the number one. I am very curious to hear what your number one is since we haven't even mentioned it, whereas my number one has been mentioned, so let's get it out of the way. Yeah, my number, number one, one and my number three. Daffy Duck. Death Pickable. <laughs> I think I already did that gag. <laughs> Not very fun. daffy of you. I'm trying, I'm trying. <laughs> So he was created in 1937, so he predates Bugs. Uh, and weirdly, especially these days, it's hard to imagine that that there's there was a Looney Tunes character who was bigger than either of them and was created earlier, and that was Porky Pig. And he's he's he ended up a background character by by the time some of these other guys showed up. But for a while, he was the the real deal, and Daffy was the first one to supplant him as their the main. Looney Tunes guy and the thing the the specific era of Daffy Duck that I love is those early days where he's completely anarchic and and unlike Bugs Daffy will go pick a fight and he'll do it for no good reason and he's he's just a lunatic he he puts the loon in Looney Tunes um he's he's a plain looking character just like a black duck i think as as a response to donald duck he was black donald was white and they both had different speech impediments but whereas donald was just sort of angry daffy was insane and would jump around and would do crazy stuff and and was beyond anything a human being could could accomplish whereas 
Bugs owes something to Groucho and other real-life people, Daffy is wholly a creation of the cartoons. And as time went on, and especially when he got paired with Bugs, I think he became less interesting. He was just sort of greedy and kind of a jerk, and I don't like that version of him. But when he's a solo character, or paired early on with, with Porky, where, where Porky's just sort of dragged along into the insanity of whatever Daffy's doing, that's the character I really like. The, the screwballness of it is what you're yes. looking for, right? Yeah, the, yeah every, every reaction that Daffy Duck has is turned up to 11, right? Nothing's, nothing is ever, like, irritating or okay. It's always the worst thing in the world or the greatest thing that has ever happened. Yeah. And, and I would be lying if I didn't, like, listen, a lot of how I style my sense of humor sort of comes from that, for sure. <laughs> the exaggeration of reactions is one of my favorite gags to play. Uh, it still gets a lot of laughs, so. <laughs> <laughs> he also, he, he was like the perfect propaganda cartoon character because it was almost like, you just drop a, him as a bomb into Nazi territory or whatever, where it's like, this is a thing that would be destructive no matter where you put it. So let's put him <laughs> over there and we'll let him mess these guys up. Yeah, it's so weird to think about these characters being literal wartime propaganda. Yeah, and and when I, I think when they're pitted against the Nazis, it's easy to enjoy because the Nazis are the classic bad guys and, and there's they're easy to mock but when it comes down to when they're up against Japanese characters and things get into racist territory that's harder to watch it's I mean yeah it's a sign of the times right 80 yeah. 80 years ago our values are a little bit different yeah uh, but yeah but yeah. the but the highlight of it is just like people who are living a normal everyday lives when Daffy Duck hits them like a whirlwind mm-hmm um, and he's unstoppable, and and I like the fact that there's no moral to him. He he will just do whatever he wants. He's he's an id unleashed. Now we can't we can't talk about Daffy Duck uh, without talking about Duck Amuck. Yes, um, which Very 1953 true. is considered one of the greatest American cartoons ever made. It's been like stored like in national like. I don't know how you describe it, like national time capsules. Like it's like, yeah, archives. This, yeah, this is what animation is all about. This is the episode where Daffy Duck fights his own animator, essentially. I um, think Chuck Jones. Oh, he's the, the animator. animator? Well, yeah, the animator. Sorry. The animator turns out to be Bugs Bunny. Is the reveal? Uh, right, right. Sorry, but who directed it? Oh yeah, I have no idea. Okay, I'll find <laughs> but, that. Yeah. Um, but no, Duck Amuck, um, did I say 1953? It's, it's, it's shorter than you remember because every line of dialogue and every action in it is perfect. I mean, we've already discussed, like, Daffy is a really easily provoked character. And he is put in a situation where he is dealing literally, like, with his god, right? With somebody who can alter him and alter his environment and alter anything on its... Like on a whim, and instead of being intimidated or being frightened, Daffy is combative, <laughs> and yeah. he's gonna like, like, oh, I see what you're up to. Like he just lets this 
imaginary, not imaginary, but this omniscient superpower have it, and watching him get more and more frustrated and never backing down, just getting louder and louder as he tries to outwit and outmatch this thing he can't possibly do, is... It's perfection. I can't sum it up into into audio for a podcast. Just go to YouTube and look up Duck and Muck. It's genius. And then the end, when they finally, like, you know, all of this has happened to him, and they pull back, and it's Bugs Bunny sitting at the animator's easel, and the ain't I a stinker, and for the yeah. clothes is... It's just, it so perfectly encapsulates that relationship. And in a way, it's weird, because it casts Bugs as the antagonist. Yeah, but because Daffy is at that period, and that that became and stays his his most uh, iconic form of the the sort of angry, greedy, self absorbed character is the standard Daffy now, and and his relationship paired with Bugs, it, it, while Bugs is the antagonist and is driving Daffy crazy because of their relationship in other cartoons. Once it's revealed who the animator is, you're still on Bugs' side. Yeah, you, know? you, you get understand it. it exactly as a continuation of this relationship between the two of them. Yeah. Now, personally, I, as much as I do like and respect that cartoon, I've never liked that relationship for them. Uh, other than, I guess, when it's uh, the rabbit season, duck season cartoon with uh, with Elmer Fudd, where it's Daffy. <laughs> That's a great one, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Daffy and Bugs... Uh, pitting pitted against each other, also against Elmer Fudd. I don't know how to phrase it. It's a Mexican standoff where Elmer is trying to get both of them, and they're trying to convince Elmer to get the other one. That, yeah, that anyway, one, that one's a classic. But yeah, but no, yeah. Just, but that what that cartoon in particular, the combination of the slapstick and the dialogue and the emotions and outrage, <laughs> and I and I think that it wouldn't wor- have worked quite as well, especially with that reveal, except for the relationship that the two of them have built up over time. Um, right. like, like it doesn't work as good in a vacuum. You know, if, if aliens were to see it a hundred years from now, they wouldn't quite get the joke. Yeah, but, why, who is this rabbit? Why is the rabbit drawing him? Right, but it's still, but it's still funny enough. But with that extra bit of knowledge in there, it's delicious. So that was your number one. Was Daffy Duck? Yeah. Is is it easy to sum up quickly why he's higher th- than Bugs on your list? I, I think because in his purest form, the version that I like best, he is completely unhinged and and you never know what you're going to get and the heart of comedy is is surprise and Daffy is at, at, in his purest form to me nothing but surprise you never know what he's going to do okay then that just leaves up with my number one and uh, it's going to be a bit of a fight my number one Looney Tunes cartoon character of all time is Wile E. Coyote and with the subtext that it's Wile E. Coyote and the Roadrunner Okay. And you mentioned a little bit earlier that you found that relationship kind of tiring, and that made me sad. And our <laughs> I, friendship sorry. has sorry. changed as a result. Oh, no. But oh, God. I, I acknowledge that Bugs Bunny is the more well-known cartoon character, but the Wile E. Coyote and Roadrunner shorts, to me, have such a purity of presentation about them. Uh, besides the fact, I mean, like, I'll start by saying like, I could watch those over and over again for hours, no problem. But the concise storytelling and the constant entertainment value of that, to me, 
is brilliant. I have nothing but awe and respect for these. Um, first created for Warner Brothers in 48. There are 49 shorts. Um, and then a bunch of other stuff later on. And it's just Wiley Coyote is a hungry coyote and he's trying to catch the super fast Roadrunner. And he can't keep up with it, so he tries to come up with clever plans and clever traps and orders clever equipment from Acme and it always goes wrong because he's overthinking or just because it's a cartoon world and the physics of the world are constantly bending around him. When those two characters are on screen, there's no dialogue, there's no narrative, there's no story, like it's just the coyote trying to catch him and the excitement of, okay, how is this going to not work out for him? And I, I, I love that. I love, I love every part of it, even as it gets more and more ridiculous. You know, some of them are the ones like, you know, where he, he gets a giant rocket and he climbs to ride the rocket like a horse. And he lights the fuse behind him, but instead of going forward, it shoots straight up into a, like into a cliff or something. And, he, and okay, that's how that could get wrong. Some, but then there's the like the really ridiculous ones. There's one of my favorites is he leaves a bunch of bird seed on a bridge, and the roadrunners zoom in along, and he stops and starts picking at the bird seed, and the coyote is under him with a hacksaw, and he cuts a hole around the roadrunner so that the roadrunner will fall through the hole and into the ground, and instead the bridge and the two cliff sides on either side and Wiley Coyote fall and the Roadrunners left suspended on a tiny little platform. Like, just the insane... How could this go... Like, like it doesn't make any sense. It, 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 but cartoon logic. This, the Coyote is never going to get the Roadrunner and it gets increasingly hilarious how his things don't work out. That The classic, yeah. the classic gag of the, the fake tunnel... Yeah, a, a, yeah, couple, a couple genius. of times he paints the tunnel on the rock wall and the roadrunner goes right through it like it's a real tunnel and he's baffled but he goes running after him and crashes into the rock because it's not a tunnel it's just a rock that he painted the tunnel on sorry yeah. I'm babbling but I I adore this setup and I will always always watch that if it's on so that's they're also I believe Chuck Jones creations and, and I think those for sure yeah I think some of the and and uh, Duckamuck was Chuck Jones as well. So I think I think some of the fourth wall breaking meta comedy that started maybe with Duckamuck definitely was found in in greater form here as well. Uh yeah, they're they're great characters, I, but I, I think that where they they lost steam for me is the repetitive formula of it and. I remember, you know, as a kid, I, I liked them the first few times I saw them. But the more I saw them, the more I was like, all right, let's get to let's get to some talking characters here. So it's not just slapstick. I, I want to hear some some witty bon mot as well. I don't. You're, that's a totally valid opinion, but it is not one that I share. I am so impressed by how much they're able to do without needing any talking. That's listen, true. The dialogue in this show is phenomenal, right? Bugs and Daffy have great dialogue. But being able to do so much with so little just feels so different to me. I also 
think we we need to talk about the the version of Wiley e. Coyote that appears with Bugs because it's I almost see, a different character. It absolutely is a different character, and that's why when I listed my number one, I said specifically like Wiley e. Coyote oh, okay. and the Roadrunner, because Wiley e. Coyote versus Bugs Bunny is an entirely different character. He's got kind of a Marvin the Martian thing. I mean, for starters, he I talks. was going to say. Yeah, but he's got kind of a Marvin the Martian thing going on, where his whole thing is that he's a uh, he's super intelligent and he's going to eat this rabbit, and there's nothing you can do about it. And I like that too. He has the business card that says genius on it. You know, why I believe he genius. I believe it was super genius. It's in at least a couple of them. It's just genius. I do. Okay. He. I do hear him saying super genius in my head. So that now, that does come across like that. We're both right there. Am I remembering correctly? When we were kids, did you not have? I Jesse- had business cards that were Jesse C. Kirschenbaum's super genius. <laughs> That's how I knew this character was going to be on the list for you. <laughs> that was like it was a good. It, that was a great gag to have. I mean, because it, it's a double whammy, right? Because we were like twelve or thirteen at the time, so already it's why does this kid have a business card? <laughs> And then the double take at what's actually on it. That was a funny bit. That that got a lot of good comedy in. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I kind of like that version of the character more as the the puffed up, arrogant character who Bugs is constantly deflating and, and just the, the voice that they had for him and that, that banter. Whereas the, um, the hungry coyote chasing the plucky roadrunner the, the, and completely agency-less Roadrunner. Like, the Roadrunner's barely a character. It, it's such a weird pairing. He he has no personality. Uh, you don't even know if it's a he or a she. All it says is meep, 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 meep. And that's it. And for the record, because I feel like someone might email us about this, apparently there is a large contingent of people who think it's beep, beep, and not meep, meep. I want you guys, like, you beep, beep people to know you're nuts. <laughs> Just, I mean... For sure. Like objectively speaking, with no bias intended, you're crazy. The Roadrunner says <laughs> meep meep. Just putting that out there. Anyway, but please continue. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, I just think that it's uh, that might also explain why it's a less interesting pairing. And and I I don't want to get too far off track, but it, it's sort of funny that we don't have any either Sylvester or Tweety on here. And and to me, they're almost a more interesting pairing because they at least both have a personality. They're, they're a more interesting pairing, for sure. I mean, in the same way that, like, Bugs Bunny is a much more well-rounded character. Uh, but the unique setting that they've created there, I mean, while, like, just listing Wile E. Coyote alone doesn't quite do it to me. Like, it has to be Wile E. Coyote and the Roadrunner, and I sort of feel like and it also has to be, like, and the desert. Right. Like, it's, it's all a complete, like, I'm starting to sound like a, like a Temerian, right? Wild E. Coyote in the <laughs> desert, his jaws wide. Um, but, like, the, that's, it's all a complete package. None of those elements, like, you couldn't put the Roadrunner against another character. Like, nothing interesting would happen. And I don't know that Wild E. Coyote and Bugs Bunny really work. Like, I think that's why the character is so different there. Just the like the the trifecta, the per- more than trifecta. There's a lot of elements that make it, but those shorts of Wiley e. Coyote and the Roadrunner, just to me, are an elevated form of the cartoon that the rest of them don't match. Okay. But yeah, I hear you. I hear what you're saying. Other characters, a lot more interesting, a lot more to say. Now, so, I I know we're sort of 
already over time, but I, I just feel like we need to acknowledge some of the big names that we didn't hit. Like, in, in addition to Tweety and Sylvester and Granny, and uh, there, there's also uh, Speedy Gonzalez and Porky Pig, who who was the original Looney Tunes and Merry Melodies star. Yeah, and Porky Pig and Elmer Fudd are big names. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know as much about Speedy Gonzalez, but... Fair but enough. Porky- he's, he's a later edition. He's, he might be the best-known protagonist of the later, later Looney Tunes stuff. Fair. But yeah, the big names, Sylvester and Tweety, um, Elmer, Porky. I don't know. I mean, I feel like, you know, Bugs is Iron Man and Daffy's Cap. Like, it's... You know, they're the the center of the Avengers, and then you have, like, the extra layer of characters sort of around them. You're you're Marvin the Martians, and I guess even you're Ralph the Wolves, and the rest of them just sort of blend together. Like, Yosemite Sam, even. When you get to that sort of extra ring, they sort of start to blend together in my head a little. Yeah, that's fair, and and there's a lot of one-offs. It's interesting to see the characters that stuck for one reason or another. Like, I can't imagine there's a lot of, like, fan clamoring about certain characters and yet some of them manage to come back for more installments or, or or more notable installments and then others just sort of faded away yeah i mean i'm sure like like there's a lot of people who really like gossamer but you know it's just oh, like, oh here's another one that we forgot peppy Le Pew. yeah i mean I, I agree i i'm not saying I, I'm not saying he should have been on our list, but we forgot as far as, like, a big name goes. You can't deny he's a big name. Well, I suppose not. He gets a lot of screen time. And he, he in a more progressive, woke era, does not hold up the same way no. as some of the others. No, But he, he is still, if you can watch it knowing the time period and, and I guess, trying to accept it at face value, he can be pretty funny. Yeah. Okay, let's let's leave it at that. I yeah. Think. <laughs> I'm sure there are others that we missed. Um, is, do you have a beloved Looney Tunes character that we completely skipped over? I mean, you must. There's a lot of people who... Uh, it's, this is close to a lot of people's hearts. Um, we'd love to hear about it. There's lots of ways we can amend this list, and we get a lot of user feedback for that sort of stuff. So please let us know uh, how have we offended you this week. <laughs> uh, Graham, how can they get a hold of us? Preferably by email, geektop5 at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook, facebook.com slash geektop5. And we're on Twitter, at geektop5. Looking forward to hearing from you. Um, It's because of you guys that we get to do this, and it isn't seen as slacking, which is great. So thank you for that. Um, While we're giving out thanks, also want to give an extra hearty handshake to Jamie Reum, the guy behind our theme song. Reum is spelled R-E-A-U-M-E. Find him, uh, Jamie underscore Reum, or Jamie Reum official on YouTube and Instagram. And check out his virtual pub trivia nights at triviashmivia.com. And um, man, like, let's go watch Duck Amuck for sure. But there's like a hundred years of Looney Tunes. So if you're feeling kind of down or just have nothing to do, I mean, hey, it's the pandemic, right? That's a good way to, uh, to fill some time until you get to hear from us again. Until then, I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And this has been Geek Top 5. We'll talk to you again next week.